We'll turn now to the Heidelberg Catechism, and we will look at Lord's Day 45, and in particular, question and answer 117. So Lord's Day 45, question and answer 117. The question is, what belongs to a prayer which pleases God and is heard by him? Now the answer, first, we must from the heart call upon the one true God only who has revealed himself in his word for all that he has commanded us to pray. Second, we must thoroughly know our need and misery so that we may humble ourselves before God. Third, we must rest on this firm foundation that, although we do not deserve it, God will certainly hear our prayer for the sake of Christ our Lord, as he has promised us in his word. And thus far our confession. And we will look at 2 Samuel 7, the remainder of that chapter, as we look at what we confess here. So we'll continue now in 2 Samuel, and we continue in verse 18. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God? What is my house that you have brought me thus far? And yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God. You have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come, and this is instruction for mankind, O Lord God. And what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God. Because of your promise and according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. Therefore you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you, and there is no God besides you according to all that we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be his people, making himself a name and doing for them great and awesome things by driving out before your people, whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, a nation and its gods. And you established for yourself your people Israel to be your people forever. And you, O Lord, became their God. And now, O Lord God, confirm forever the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, and do as you have spoken. And your name will be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is God over Israel, and the house of your servant David will be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have made this revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord God, you are God, Your words are true, and you have promised this good thing to your servant. Now, therefore, may it please you to bless the house of your servant, so that it may may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord God, have spoken, 
and with your blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, our text this afternoon in connection with Lord's Day 45 is a prayer, a prayer of David, beautiful prayer. David responding to the most wonderful promises that God made to him. Now, we find several prayers by individuals in the Bible. We have here an example. We have also, for example, the prayer of Solomon and King Solomon. We have a prayer of Daniel. We have a prayer of Nehemiah. In the prophets in the Old Testament, you come across beautiful prayers as well. We read about it in the New Testament. And the Apostle Paul often begins his letter also by telling us what he is praying for and so on. And of course, you have the Psalms. How many psalms are not prayers? So why does the Holy Spirit deem it necessary to include these prayers in the Bible? As for example, this one of David. In order to teach us. Because praying is not something you do naturally. Praying to the only true God is not something we do by nature. He has to work it in us. The Holy Spirit makes us say, Abba, Father. And so he brings about in our lives a prayer that is pleasing to God and then also is heard by him. And also the catechism. The purpose of the Lord's days that follow 45 is to teach how to pray. And so we have this example as well. Here in 2 Samuel 7, David is praying. David, who is now a king in Jerusalem. And the Lord, in a way, presents David in these chapters in Samuel. The Lord presents David to show this is the kind of king that I want. Not like Saul. David says, I have removed him from before you. This is the king I want. A messianic king, a king who rules knowing that he is under the authority of God and is there to serve the Lord. And in that way, David is indeed here foreshadowing his great son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And as we look at his prayer, we may see in the way he prays already our Savior who is interceding for us. At the same time, The Holy Spirit wants to use this prayer to teach us. How is it in our prayer lives? The Catechism says we have to pray a prayer that is pleasing to God and is heard by Him. How often do we think about the way we formulate our prayers? Just to make sure they're pleasing to God. Because then He will hear us. So you could call also this passage in 2 Samuel a lesson in prayer. And so I proclaim to you God's word in this afternoon under this theme that David responds in faith to God's gracious promises and that faith shows 
in his humility, and it shows in his boldness. 2 Samuel 7 is a very well-known chapter, and for a good reason, because one of the, the chapters where you can see so far ahead, it's as if you stand on a high mountain, and you see way ahead. The Lord gives to David an amazing promise when he says that your throne will be lasting forever, shall be established forever. Think about that, to be told that. That your throne will be established forever. Your kingdom, which is God's kingdom, is an everlasting kingdom. So in a way, the Lord allows his people here to look ahead all the way to Christ. And you can see all the way to Revelation 21 and 22. The fullness of that kingdom. Everlasting. Now, we typically look at this chapter and this promise in connection with the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. I think this psalm that we sang, the Lord has once to David sworn, is often sung around the time of Christmas. And it's correct, because indeed it points to the Lord Jesus Christ. But today, we want to look at this prayer as a lesson of prayer, as a response to promises. And David shows himself here to be a true king, a true believer. And because it is a response, which a prayer is, a prayer is responding. You don't have to come up with your own ideas. That's the beautiful thing about prayer. You may simply respond to what God says. And so we have to look at what David is responding to. The beginning of this chapter, David is king in Jerusalem. Everything is well. Beautiful home he has, a palace he has. There's peace, many blessings. And as David is in a state of, of blessedness and peace and, and comfort, then he says, Something isn't right here. Because I live in this beautiful home, I have it well, and the ark of the Lord is in a tent. Yes, he had brought the ark up to Jerusalem. That was beautiful already too. But it's just a tent. So he says to Nathan, I want to build a house for the Lord. A beautiful home. And Nathan says, well, sure, go ahead. Why would anybody be opposed to such a wonderful project? Making a house for God. But then the Lord comes to Nathan and through Nathan to David and the Lord says no or not yet. And then he gives to David this amazing promise. He says, you want to build me a house? I'm going to build your house. And then house does not mean structure, but family, line, your descendants. And I'm going to bring your son, who will be my king into this world. Your line will continue forever. And to that David responds, verse 18, Then King David went in and sat before the Lord. He goes toward the ark in the tent. And it's not just a quick visit. 
when it says he sat down, then most likely the sitting was sitting on the ground. And that indicates he was there for quite some time. Not just walk in, say something, and walk out again. No, he takes his time. He sits down to communicate, to express. Because there's so much to say. And when you, when you go over this prayer, when you, when you read this prayer, what is your, your, your impression of this prayer? What kind of a tone do you notice in this prayer? I think it is one of being awestruck. A prayer that expresses amazement, gratitude. He says, Lord, who am I? What is my house that you have done this? And as if this is just small, you've spoken of such wonderful things. What more can I say? Your servant David. It, it's amazement. Of all people, Lord, that you would tell me this. David responds in faith. He is he's awestruck by the grandeur of God's promises. And this awe also shows in his humility. Because you could say that faith shows in awe, but it also shows in humility. And what is humility? Well, humility typically has two elements. It means in the first place that you know who God is. That you realize his exalted character. You're not dealing with an equal. You're dealing with the most holy, glorious, almighty God. So humility means that you know who he is. It also means that you know who you are yourself. Creature before the creator. A child before the father. But also a sinner who doesn't deserve anything. And that, that's the proper attitude. Isn't that what the Catechism says on Lord's Day 45? What is, belongs to a prayer that is pleasing to God? Look at those first two elements. You have to know the one true God only. And you know that from his word. And second, you have to know yourself thoroughly. Your need and your misery. So you have to know who God is and you have to know who you are yourself. Well, have a look at this prayer. David knows who God is. You notice how often he uses titles here? He addresses God by a name, his name. Who am I? O Lord God. And that expression, Lord God, comes back several times. In verse 19, you have it again. Lord God, verse 20 again. Verse 22. And, and it just goes through this whole passage, this whole prayer. Lord, that means the God of the covenant. I am who I am. Who has made a covenant with his people. But also, the one who as the covenant God is sovereign. Some translations also translate it as sovereign Lord. But there's indeed the, the meaning here. That word sovereign means you don't have to give an explanation of why you do certain things. 
This Lord is free to do what he wants to do and he's always just in what he does. No obligation in any way to David. Whatever he gives is out of sovereign grace. And so David acknowledges that time and again, repeating that title, Sovereign Lord. And he calls him Almighty Lord, verse 22. And he calls him Lord of hosts, verse 26. The Lord of Israel, the Lord of of the realm of all the angels. And brothers and sisters, these names, these titles are not just fillers. That can happen too in your prayer life that you that you fill in names because you're thinking in the meantime and you don't know what to say so quickly, so you put the name Lord in there again and it becomes a filler. Doesn't necessarily show respect or humility. Here David really wants to acknowledge his place before this God, who he is, sovereign, Lord of the covenant, and that is even strengthened by when he also expresses why the Lord did this. Because what is the reason for his amazement? It is for what God has done with David. David looks in his life. David looks at the life of Israel, the nation. Look at verse 18. Who am I, O Lord God, what is my house, that you have brought me thus far? You have brought me thus far. Well, then David is looking back when he was a boy, taking care of the sheep. He was called away from the sheepfold because Samuel was wanting to see him. And he's crowned king of Israel, this young boy. And, and then the difficulty started because he was brought to King Saul's court, but Saul started to hate him, persecute him. So all these years from between his anointing to here, David says that I'm here now. That's what you have done. You have brought me thus far. It is your work, Lord, that I'm here in this palace. There's peace here. And it wasn't always an easy road. A road David had to learn a whole lot. But David looks back. And says that it's the Lord who did that. It's a beautiful way of looking back in your life. When you see things in your life. And you recognize it was God's hand in the good things but also in the difficult. And then you know your place before God. And not only David's place, also Israel's place. For what is your people? Your people Israel. It's so striking that David does not look at Israel as his possession. As if Israel is there to bring glory to King David. No, he recognizes them as the people of the Lord. The Lord had brought them out of Egypt into this land to make them his nation to be their God. And David's position as a king is part of that. So he's not in it for his own glory. But he sees his position as part of God's work 
to make a people for himself. A people that God went to redeem in order to make a name for himself. Yes, for, because why did the Lord do this? Why did the Lord take David? Why did he lead him through his whole life to this point? Why did he take Israel? Why did he bring Israel through the time of the wilderness, but also in the time of the judges to this point? Who am I? What is my house? Who is this people? Says David. Why did the Lord do that? Well, have a look at verse 21. Why did the Lord do this? Because of your promise. And according to your own heart. It's beautiful how they're connected. The promise of God already given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you could say. Promise given to Adam and paradise. And according to your own heart. That means God just wanted to do this. That was his good pleasure. He took pleasure in doing this. He decided this. And that's why you have brought all this greatness about And verse 23, when it comes to Israel, what nation is there that you went to redeem? And then it says, making yourself a name. You redeemed them for yourself. So Israel is not in the center. David is not in the center. It is all because of God. So David knows his place before this sovereign Lord. Because he sees that work of his hand in his life, in the life of his nation. And he knows the only reason that God does it is because he decided to do this. Nothing that I have earned, devised. That's humility. And that's a humility that leads to adoration. Verse 22. There you have an element of praise. Worship. Therefore you are great, O Lord God. There is none like you. There is no God beside you according to all that we have heard with our ears. Humility must lead to adoration. When you see what God does in your life, how he leads, how he guides, what are you going to do? But praise him. It's a beautiful prayer. And the Lord says here, this is my king. This is the king I want. Not like Saul, who, is out for, who was out for himself. I want a king who indeed sees his place properly. And so David is allowed to be the father of our Savior. And he is in a way foreshadowing, pointing to that he will come. But then it is also for us, I said, in a lesson in prayer. Why is this recorded? Not only so we can see the lines that will go all the way to Jesus Christ, because that also would have been part of the first this chapter. It's also that we learn how to respond. Responding in faith requires humility. And that humility means that you know your place before God. And when you then realize what God has done in your life and what he gives to you, you become humble. And then you know that it's not of anything that we have done or earned. 
And we say with David, who are we? This morning we celebrate the Lord's Supper. The Lord gave us the gift of his grace. Reconciliation through the blood of Jesus Christ. And when you took that, and when you ate that, and when you drank that, and it brings about in our lives, Lord, who are we that you do this to us? You, you look around, how many people go their own way? And here he calls us and makes us his own and, and leads our lives and our families and his church. Who are we, Lord, as your people, as your congregation? Do you see that? Is it also the basis for your prayer? Total dependence on the Lord. But then also, does it lead to adoration? Praise of the Lord. You are God. You alone. So that's the first. Humility. And it brings us to the second part of this prayer, or the second aspect of it, and that is, I said, boldness. Verse 25. In a way, there's a change there. To a certain extent. Verse 25. And now... O Lord God, confirm forever the word you have spoken concerning his servant and concerning his house, and do as you have spoken. I said it's a change in tone. Because when you look at these words, confirm and do, what type of verbs are they? What type of word? Did they commands? Demands. There's no please here. And now, Lord, please confirm. And now, please do. He simply says, Lord, now confirm it. And do it. Is that fitting? Is that in line with the humility that we just spoke about? Yes, it is. And this, too, is faith. And this, too, is a lesson for us. Because this is faith that holds to the promises of God. What is God supposed to do? Not what I want him to do. But what he has spoken himself. Do as you have promised. So David is saying, Lord, you said it. I'm going to hold you to your words. To me. And what you said about Israel, your people. When David in verse 27 says, I have found courage to pray this way. That courage is based on trusting God's promises. Accepting his promises and his word as true. You said it. Now I hold you to it. And brothers and sisters, that is because of the relationship that exists between God and us. A relationship that we call the covenant. For that is a binding relationship. And that means that two parties make from both sides pledges to each other. So the one side says, this is what I will do for you. And the other says, this is what I will do for you. And because that is formalized in an oath... Now you are bound to it so that the second party may say, you have to do this. It's almost like a contract. 
Or, or think of a marriage. When, when you give your vow to your spouse, then your spouse doesn't have to say to you, could you please love me? But can say, you pledged to do that, and I hold you to it. And you can hold me to it. And, and when we are in the church... And we have made obligations and we have made vows in the church and we have said when we made professional faith, this is what I want to do, and we did it before the Lord, then the consistory doesn't have to come to you and say, could you please do that? Of course not. Because you have to. Because there's an obligation. There's a commitment. Now do what you said. Well, if that is so between humans, that is also how it is between God and us. God says to us, now you have to do what you promised. And we may say to him, do what you have promised. That's what David is saying here. And that's what the Spirit is teaching us here. Boldness. But that boldness is based on accepting the promises of God as to, in saying, do this, David is saying, Lord, I, I, I recognize your word. He says, your word is indeed truth. You are the one who keeps word. And therefore, I hold you to it. And I may, because of the grace that you have given us in the relationship that you have established with us. David is also here pointing to our Savior, Jesus Christ. Because our king is also our high priest. And he is also praying. And in the New Testament, in John 17, we even have an example of his prayer. He's pleading for us on our behalf to the Father. And when he asks the Father, he does not say please either. Because he appeals to the pledge of the Father. Father said, Son, if you do that, I will give whatever you ask. And so the Lord Jesus says to us, Well, whatever you ask in my name, he will give to you. Because he promised that. And that is true through Jesus Christ. That is that firm foundation that the Lord speaks about as the third part of what is required. That we must rest on this firm foundation, although we don't deserve it. God will hear our prayer for the sake of Jesus Christ. As he has promised us in his word. Prayer is not just in trying, seeing how it works. Praying is holding God to what he has promised to you in your baptism. You know that in the Lord's Prayer, when we say, give us this day our daily bread, we don't ask for please. And when we say, forgive us our debts, there's no please in there either. Or lead us not into temptation, there's no please in there either. Why not? Because God said that he would provide for you, the Father. And God the Son said that he would take you along in his death and his resurrection. And God the Holy Spirit said he would dwell in you and renew you. So the Lord Jesus gives us the courage 
to say, Father, now do what you have promised. There's boldness. But there's a boldness that is coming from faith. And Father loves it when his children take his words as true. Courage, indeed, to pray that way. I said there's a change in verse 25 to a certain extent. Because there's also similarity between the first part and the second part of this prayer. The first part is not about David himself and his own glory. But the second part is also not about David. Verse 26. Your name will be magnified. And the people will be saying, this is the God of Israel. So God's name is the glory it's still David's goal. And also, also here, it leads to adoration. When he speaks about that, you have done this, and now God, you will be glorified forever. So also here, the boldness has to include the praise for who God is and the truth of his word. A lesson in prayer are we humble? Do we dare to be bold? And both are based on God's work in Jesus Christ. Living from the gospel of Christ. And so, brothers and sisters, we may see in our text how the Lord is teaching us. Yes, he presents the true king. And as we hear David praying, we hear our Savior praying. But we also ourselves are taught to pray in humility and boldness. And it can only lead to deep, deep adoration. And brothers and sisters, King David maintained this through his life. At the end of his life, he summed up what God had done, and we find it in chapter 22 of Second Samuel. When David looks back at his life there as well, and he made it into a song. And then he says in chapter 22 toward the end, the Lord lives, blessed be my rock, exalted be my God, the rock of my salvation. This I will praise you for, Lord, and sing praises to your name. Great salvation you bring to the king. You show steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. David held on by the grace of God to that promise.